0: Corey Brown, welcome to the Wolf Den. Thank you, mate. quite a place you've got here. Yeah, and that's a good setup. We all enjoy being in here. Um, so I want to kick off with talking about what makes a world-class jockey. And no one's more qualified than you. You've been a jockey all over the world. Yep. You're now a commentator, race analyst, so you're watching jockeys all day long. And yep. you're also head head jockey
1: coach for Racing in New South Wales. Is that right? I am, yeah. It's, um, it's going good. I yeah. like it. Yeah. But what it takes for me... Um, like I've always idolized jockeys, like mm-hmm. as in, like I love style. Um, I love watching what they do with their hands. Um, so, but a lot of it comes down to commitment, dedication, and mm-hmm. hard work. You know, like I, I don't think jockeys necessarily. or I, I, as an example, I'll use Craig Williams. Yep, Craig Williams. I don't think I wouldn't put him in my top ten jockeys. You know, probably ever. But you look at his you know, what he's done, it's just absolutely outstanding, you know, but that's hard work, dedication and commitment, you know. So um, what it takes to be a world-class jockey, um, I think it's, yeah, it's just having the package.
0: Yeah. And so let's talk about the package. Let's unpack the package. So certainly in today's world, you've got to be very fit, right? Yeah. And we've seen a lot of certainly the Sydney jockeys doing really difficult strength and conditioning workouts, Huey Bowman, the Gun does them. I'm yep. sure J-Mac do you know, they yeah, obviously no, all do them. Yep. So, and how much do you find that you started to train harder towards the end of your career?
1: Without a doubt. Yeah. Years ago, like when, you know, I'll go back to the days of like Robbie Thompson and, you know, even Wayne Harris or the Malcolm Johnsons. Like mm-hmm. they would never have gone to the gym. Yeah. You know, like outside of, you know, riding track work or exercising. It would have been track work and maybe a couple of jockeys – might have do a bit of running before they jumped in the sauna. But it was all sauna and track work and race day. That's all, the only exercise they No would weights have. or anything, right? Never. Never, yeah. ever. Um, but this day and age, it's like any sport, you know, like you want to go to that next level, you've got to be at peak fitness. You know, it's not just, you know, fitness, it's your diet. It's, it's the whole lot like – and it's a game of inches. Mm. So, you know, like if you can do something to get that extra inch out of the horse – the jockeys are doing it. You know, like it's – mate, it's amazing. With the personal trainer that I used to have, Simon, mm-hmm. weight ratio compared to other athletes, he, he was amazed, you know, like what the jockey's body could do or, mm. you know, he, he he was gobsmacked when I first went to him.
0: Yeah. And what about anticipation in a race that must – like the ability to make the right decision at the right time, that's got to
1: – Yeah, you've got to have a, a, a good brain. That's like – I mean, j Max got – you know, his, his record speaks for itself, but he's a great thinker in a race. Yeah. Um, You know, your peripheral vision, you've got to have that as sharp as a tack. You've got to be sort of watching not only the horse that's directly in front of you, but you're watching everything that's going on around you. Um, but yeah, you've got to have a good brain in a race. There's, there's some jockeys that, you know, I don't be rude, but it's, you can outsmart them, mm. you know, within strides on a horse. You know, we always say pull their pants down, but it's, yeah, you've got to have a really, really good brain in racing. And when
0: when you were going to start mm-hmm. at some really big races, Group One races, we don't have to mention any names, but you might see another jockey on a mm-hmm. horse that's well in the market, and you would you ever think to yourself, just to yourself, like I'm I'm smarter than this oh, this sure. other jockey, and I'll yep. yep I'll ride my race around the fact that they yeah. might not make the the perfect decision in that. Well, it,
1: it's things like that, but you can a lot of the times the races run and won in the first two f- – probably two-thirds of the race. Really? Yeah, yeah. Like, honestly, like, you can ride a race to suit, you know, or do something to another jockey, mm. you know, to – as an example, I got taken off a really good horse one day. Um, I'd done all the work on it and won some big races on it and uh, a, another jockey got under my neck. Mm. Um, it was a long story, but anyway, I, I rode a horse by the name of Tom Melbourne. Mm-hmm. May have been one of my first ever rides on him. I rode him over seven furlongs at Ranwick and the other horse happened to draw outside me. Tom Melbourne was known to be sort of after about a furlong, he'd just lock his jaw and take off, you know, right. and you couldn't couldn't hold him. He was a really strong horse. But this day at Randwick, um, I had the horse that I was taking off outside me and I drew about six or five or whatever. And it was a smallish sort of feel, but mate, I broke Tom Melbourne's jaw and just made him come back and come back and, I sat one off the fence and just forced the other jockey three wide, and everyone knew what I was doing. (laughs) Not that I rode the horse out of pattern, but it was just amazing. Like, not amazing, I'll cut that word out. It was just everyone could see what I was doing, you know, like to outsmart that other rider. Yeah, a bit of a square up. It was a square up. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because I just got home from Singapore, um, you know, a few months before, or probably six months before, but in those first couple of months, there was a lot of the young guns in Sydney trying to sort of outride me and by that stage I was sort of one of the older jockeys mm-hmm. and a lot of them were laying on me and doing all these things and a couple of the jockeys I said mate I'll be honest I said you can you can pull my pants down any day of the week at these midweek meetings but when it counts in a big group one I'll get you yeah. and I'll make it hurt yeah and that day at Randwick I um yeah I D- said so mate, Tom Melbourne won now, Tom Melbourne didn't win, but the other horse got beaten yeah, by a lip. Because yeah, Tom him. Melbourne
0: was famous for his running second. Yeah, well
1: I was I was <laughs> I just joined a long list of jockeys to run second on him as well. <laughs>
0: yeah. And what about people say, you know, the horses respond better for particular jockeys. Yep. What does that mean? Like why? And do you feel do you feel that during your career you were horses responded yeah, better because uh, of the is uh, it a gentleness or is it a is it's it a just a bond. It's just uh-huh. a
1: bond. It's like I suppose it's like people getting along with other people. Um, horses are very much like humans they they understand like your body language and but i i not not saying i was the best at it but i had a an uncanny knack to get along with a lot of horses um especially a lot of the horses that other riders had difficulties with mm. um i seemed to bond with them well and get along with them well so yeah it, it's yeah I, I don't know what you say it is but it's yeah a bit of horsemanship but it's just getting along with the actual mm. animal
0: and i guess that it's the way you sort of handle the horse, and if it respects you, and if you're not too hard on it, yep. and you know, it's, it's a fine. It's a bit like looking after a kid, isn't it? Yep, like correct. You know, kids do stuff, and it's they don't have the mental capacity to, to know how to handle yep. the, the conflict, but you do. Yeah. And if you can finesse the situation along, then you avoid yeah, arguments. Correct. I'm just talking about this from my everyday experience of being a dad. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Super interesting. So, and then in the Queensland Derby four years ago now
1: four years ago actually yeah four years just ago on about just gone last five last days weekend. yeah yeah
0: so well doc- documented you had the, the horrible fall you mm. broke your back they said probably like 14 months on the sideline yeah you were incredibly determined yep. to come back i want to talk about when you decided that you couldn't come back but what blows me away and i think blows so many people away in racing like at the same time you were going through this i think ty had his yuck, mm. had, had his accident yep. And you're comfortable in life everything you've had an incredible career yeah. you've won 49 group ones but you still want to get back out there and compete mm. like, why
1: oh it's just that i don't know it's that competitiveness i, I just yeah like when you see it like I, i've been riding horses or race horses since i was 14 um, my first race ride at 15 but yeah, it's just it's just being out there and like it's really weird like you you complain about getting up at you know, 3 o'clock in the morning getting to the track and stuff like that. But when all that's taken away from you, <laughs> it's amazing how much you crave it. Like mm. it's – well, I've done nothing but crave it. I'm just sort of starting to get over it now. It's been four years. But um, when you get to those big meetings like the Everest and stuff like that and you just feel that, you know, that – I don't know what it is, that buzz. It's mm, just – The atmosphere. Yeah, the yeah. atmosphere. And I just I just wished I was back up on top, yeah.
0: And is it the the, the fast lifestyle – is it the money or is it just the, the winning, like when you go past the winning post and you're in front? there's uh, a combination of all it, of them? I think
1: it's a combination of all of them. Um, like you, you miss a lot. Like you, you watch the big races and the jockeys giving them really good rides. You know, just go, yeah, I could have, you know, like I would love to be out there doing those things, like piecing the puzzle together and mm. sort of things. But then, then there's the other side of it where because I've been at the races my whole life basically, um, that brotherhood – that I don't get to see that camaraderie, the jockeys' room. Like I probably spent more time in the jockeys' room than what I spent at my own home. Yeah. So that's what I miss the most, you know, like not being there with all the boys. So.
0: And are your best mates jockey like current jockeys and ex jockeys?
1: Yeah, I've got a lot of great mates like Huey Bowen and I are really good mates. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's, we've, we've sort of grown up together. Really. Yeah. It's yeah. like going through school together. Um. Yeah. So now that yeah my 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 group is yeah definitely racing we've got a lot of friends outside of racing but my main group of friends are yeah definitely racing people
0: and when the dean holland tragedy mm. happened a few weeks back how yeah how did I, I assume it really hit the jockeys room pretty hard and you're not long left that no so.
1: it's it, it's yeah it's it's a bit of pill to swallow like it's really hard like you you think and the first person i thought of was ...poor girl that went over top of Dean um, because I was in a very... ...well, it was exactly the same situation when I was 16 years of age um, with Ken Russell. So... Mm.
0: That was nearly your first start, wasn't it? Nearly one of your first rides? Oh, it was
1: a, one of my first rides when I first came yeah. to the city, so... Um, Ken Russell died. It was, yeah. was it on the Gold Coast? No, no, no. no. It was um, at Rose Hill. Right. Um, so, and I was only, like, 16. So yeah,
0: so right. so right at the start of your career, Ken Russell died in a race and yeah. you were... Yeah. yeah.
1: So I experienced that and I, I know what, you know, she was going through, so... Mm. Uh yeah, my first point of call was to make sure that she was all right. So you you reached out to her, did you? I did, yeah. yeah. Um so look it it's just yeah, it's it's awful. Um it yeah. yeah. I don't know what to say about it. Yeah. It's just awful. You know, I felt for Dean like and his young family. Did um, you know him? I knew him well. Knew yeah. him very well. And, uh, I yeah. Mean, Everyone says he was just. Oh, one he's just of, a one, of the, one of the champion legends. little guys. Like he just yeah. never had a smile off his face. Um, we pumped when in secret shooting in the. It was just so. Well, well, actually, he was. As soon as I got in the car, I sent him a text straight away to say congratulations. Like right place, right time. You know, and a natural lightweight. Like yeah. he, kids that people that look after their weight. You just never know yeah. when you can be put into those situations, and it's. Mm. Yeah, it's because great. Because he was
0: the, the only rider available that could make the way to be in secret. Weight. Yeah. Yeah, so James Cumming said,
1: jump on. Get on. And it went like a motor well, car. Well, basically, I think the story has it. They, Someone, Darren said, oh, Dean Holland. Someone said to Darren Beben back here in Sydney, oh, Dean Holland's picked up the ride. And he said, don't care who rides it. <laughs> he said, it'll be winning. Yeah, right. It was going that good. good. Yeah.
0: So let's move on to your role now as head jockey coach for Racing New South Wales. Yeah. Does that mean all jockeys can reach out to you when they need to chat. Right. So it's not, it's not skewed towards apprentices. No,
1: no. (laughs) Um, when I, when I first realized that I was not going to go back to writing, I, um, actually opened up, well, I I said, I'll start mentoring jockeys. As a private business. As a private business. Yeah. yeah, I called it good skills. And I had like five or six of them on the books and there's a heap more sort of wanting me to help, but I, I was just warming into it and I'd yeah, I was still feeling my way a little bit and then the job offer come up at um, Racing New South Wales to be head mentor.
0: And was there someone in the role before you? Or uh, there's a been that...
1: a few people in the role. Uh-huh. Um, Mark them off, it was in there for a while, but I replaced Leanne Olsen. She'd been there for about four years. Uh, but I I, <laughs> I changed the role a little bit because I'm dyslexic and I um, you know, I didn't want to be sitting in the office where she sat in the office for probably three days a week and I basically told Peter Vellantes and Steve Rolton the steward, that if you want me to do the job, I'm more than happy to get out to the races and teach the kids, mm-hmm. you know, what I know. But I said, if I have to sit in the office, I said, I'd just, yeah, that's not the role that mm. I'm, I'm wanting to fill. But I love it. I, I love getting out there and I love seeing the young kids coming through. Like I always had a mad interest, even when I was riding, like of helping the kids. Like I I, I actually used to state years ago that I, when I finished riding, I had my own academy mm. and somehow get it going. But, at this stage, I just yeah, I love it. I love teaching mm.
0: them. And how many days a week does that take you? Is it?
1: uh oh mate, I'm basically on call twenty four seven. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I, mate, even like the other morning, I was getting phone calls at sort of five o'clock in the morning. So, uh, it's a lot of lot of phone calls. But um, but yeah, they say five days a week, but it's really seven. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I want to try and understand better the allure of Hong Kong, right? Mm. So, Zach... How long has Zach been there now? 15... 14 years,
1: I think they said the other day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he's... Like, you know, he stayed there the whole time. He's mm. obviously obviously Australian, probably. I sh- assume he loves Australia. Yeah. But it's been so lucrative for him to stay over there, financially, but then also lifestyle-wise. Mm. And you, you did a yeah, couple of seasons done, over yeah, there. Yeah, I've done
1: two and a half seasons, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how did you find it? I loved it. Um, I loved it... Well... When I sort of fell in love with it, I was again, I always idolized jockeys through my career, but I loved Mick Canan and Mick Canan happened to be there at the time uh, when I was a young kid, and i all I wanted to do was get to Hong Kong, like you hear the stories about Darren Gouchy and you know mm. Damien Oliver and you know Darren Beeman and Darren and I are like great mates um old bull young Bull, I used to always say but was he
0: there when you were there
1: no, yeah. but he he um <laughs> Darren and I used to ride work every morning together because we rode for John Hawks and Darren turned to God and me being a bit cheeky and whatnot, when he he come back riding, I'd say, righto, confession with Corey. <laughs> and I'd ask him all these questions. I could write Darren Beeman's book. Like I know yeah. everything about Darren. So, yeah, every morning I'd say, righto, confession with Corey, tell me about this and tell me about that. And it was always the, obviously the bad stuff, you know, like why he got kicked out of Hong Kong and – Stuff like that. So, I always had this fascination of Hong Kong getting there because all the good jockeys from all over the world used to go there. You know, you got, yeah, well, I, I idolized a jockey called Eric St. Martin. Uh-huh. His father was like the Lester Pickett of France, Eve St. Martin. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to get there and copy styles and stuff like that. And yeah, I, mate, I couldn't wait to get there just because of the racing and like the the worldwide, you know, like jockey ranks that were there.
0: Um, and you have to get invited, right?
1: You've got to get invited. You, you apply? You're or gonna, it, like, yeah. You can apply, but you've obviously got to be doing really, really well. Yep. Um, the club will, you know, this day and age, i will ring you and sort of invite you over. But um, most young jockeys that want to go, they'll... So there's no try.
0: doubt J-Mac would have got offered, oh. but he just obviously decides Mate. it. I mean, he when he rocks up, he rides the best horse. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's... Because it, it's
0: he, he rode Romantic Warrior mm. a couple of weeks back. Yep.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah it has got then, the best of both worlds, J-Mac, because he can ride here. He's got the beautiful lifestyle, got the big fancy house overlooking the Harbour Bridge there. I see last night he put on Instagram. So, yeah. And then he ducks over you know, every now and again, maybe 10 weekends a year to Hong Kong to ride in the big races. So, perfect, Yeah, and
0: perfect. it's interesting, like I think about those blokes who are doing it because um, you ride at Randwick during the day, say, yeah. go to the airport, have a nice meal. Yeah. You're on the planet, say, 10 p.m., yeah. Sleep the whole way, wake yep. up and you arrive in Hong Kong whatever it is, six or seven AM. Yeah. And then you go to the races and ride <laughs> and then you Same that night, right? Yeah, they they probably pretty much, get back yeah, on a the flight back that yeah, night. Yeah,
1: or even go out for dinner. Yeah. Pick get up the next morning and head back to head back to Sydney.
0: And it because it's there's the owners over there have so much pride in being able to win a mm. race, right? So is that how you can sort of make more money because you
1: Um yeah, look, I, I don't – it's just – I think it, – it, 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 yes, it's about the money, but it's not just about the money. It's, it's more the lifestyle, mm. like, and it's so exciting. Like, every race over there, like, I, I always say to people, you know, if you've got a bucket list, make sure you put the international Wednesday night Happy Valley on that bucket list because it's so – to be in the middle of the city like that, you've got skyscrapers basically on the outside fence and you're racing – and every race is like a Group One race. Mm. Um, so as a jockey, you just the excitement and getting over there. But it's the Wednesday and the Sunday. Yeah. So you've got the rest of the week. Yeah. You know to chill out. There's very little travel. Like you got to go from Charting to Happy Valley. Mm. So. And, and
0: the, what time does track work start?
1: It's pretty much the same as here. Probably four, four thirty. Okay.
0: So they do, yeah. they do work them early. Yeah, they work yeah. early. They,
1: it's the same, basically the same as Australia. Um, but you live on course. You walk to work. You ride work. You ride Wednesday races um, and then Sunday.
0: So it's a much easier lifestyle. Like much you can't, easier can't lifestyle. Can't compare
1: it? You can't compare it. Yeah. And not only that, look, they've shortened the period of the holiday, but years ago it used to be like eight weeks. So you could duck to Europe and, yeah. you know, spend four weeks in Europe and then come home and see the family for a couple of weeks and then get back to Hong Kong and start the season again. So it's very, very attractive for a jockey and family. Um, it's very, I wouldn't say easy on the body, but it's much easier here, um, over there where here you're, in the car, like you, you – look at the rear wheelers. Like Brad yeah. Rewheeler, like he'll sit in the car five days a week with the heater on, driving to a race meeting for three or four hours with the sauna suit on. Yeah. You know, like so it's – and I'm not saying every jockey's like that, but, you know, if you're going to compare that where you could – yeah, it's just – it's such a good lifestyle. There in Singapore, obviously Singapore hasn't got the money that Hong Kong has got, but um, but it's just the lifestyle.
0: And Huey's pretty interesting. You say you know Huey well. Mm. Was – like because – just being a racing fan, it kind of surprised me. Like he seemed to be going along really yeah. well here, and then suddenly he was off to Hong Kong. Yeah, um, yeah. And and do you think he's coming back anytime soon, or do you think he's? Pretty I don't well think set so. Up, so.
1: And I, I'll, I'll be honest. I obviously, again, watching jockeys over the years, um, I've become really good friends with Lukey e. Nolan uh-huh. down in Melbourne. I actually I was down there at the time riding for Friedman. and the mental, you know, like that that pressure that they had riding those horses. Yeah, I mean. Black Caviar caviar and Winks and I seen Huey after Winks like it was just like a nothing period like uh, Mm -hmm. not saying he wasn't riding well but you could just see him it was like the relief that it was over so to speak and he's just going through a bit of a bit of a a dull period Um, so it was probably more the break away from the the norm to go to Hong Kong and but when he got over there he had a bit of success and and, again, it's a good lifestyle. Mm. Um, it doesn't work for everyone. Um, you know, a lot of families don't gel with Asia. Yeah. Um, again, I love the place. But, but yeah, it doesn't work for everyone. But, yeah, it's it's just it's a good lifestyle.
0: You reckon he might challenge Zach next year? I
1: reckon he will. Um, yeah. The only thing that will be holding him back... Um,
0: so he's, de- he's committed to riding in Hong yeah, Kong yeah, again no, next he's year?
1: Yeah, I don't think he'll be coming home soon. Yeah, he's yeah. Um, packed up the house here and... Yeah. Um, Yeah, another uh,
0: jockey lives looking across the uh, water, doesn't he? Yeah, he's he's Coogee, isn't
1: he? He's at Coogee, (laughs) but it was funny because uh, probably two years ago, Zach, because Zach Pertin and I are really good mates as well, and Zach's ringing me asking me about jockeys going to Hong Kong, and I said, "Well, J Mac," and he said, "Oh, J Mac and that, you know, they're offered and Huey's offered," and I said, "But they've got such a good lifestyle, Zach. Why would they want to go over (laughs) there? You know, they've got the and he goes, mate, lifestyles," he said that million-dollar home up on the hill there at Coogee that Hughie lives in, he said, I'll buy that with my third bank <laughs> account. <laughs> so he was big noting about his bank That's account. Funny. But, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, again, it's just – it's one of those places if you can gel with it and, um, you know, put up with it for a few years or get along with it for a few years, it can be a little bit of cabin fever as well too. You've got to step outside, like, you know, duck over to Macau or mm. go to Bali or somewhere like mm. that for a couple of days because it's, it's one of those places – you feel like you're a little bit locked in there mm. every now and again, but um, if you can break away and deal with that, yeah, it's a place to be.
0: Just going back to your retirement. So, you did you sort of get through the fourteen month fourteen month period that the doctor said to you? You know, we have got it. This yeah. is the timeline. Did it was it the same doctor the whole way helping you helping um, you with your rehabilitation? Well, I
1: fell in Queensland and I wanted to get on a plane um, the next day. Well, uh, Dr. Cree, Andrew Cree, he, um, he wanted me to get on a plane and come back to Sydney to be operated on, but work cover up there sort of bucked about it. So a doctor operated on me up there, but the moment I got back to Sydney, it was always Dr. Andrew Cree. Mm-hmm. And obviously he told me um, to start with, Damien Oliver had a similar sort of injury and Damien told me that it took him about 14 months and Dr. Cree told me it would be yeah minimum 14 months. He said, but let's monitor it obviously every six weeks. And after about six months, I started to feel, oh, this isn't going good because yeah. um, Doctor Cree said it isn't mending. Um, there's a few things that he didn't think was right with the first operation, and the back wasn't the breaks that were how it was. Because what I've got is called a burst fracture. So I landed on my chest, um, and all the pressure exploded out my back to break my back. So um, done quite a bit of damage, but how they put it back together, how they pushed it back together, the the actual rods or plates that were leaning against the brake were holding the brake apart. Mm. So it never mended. So after about, I would say, maybe on the nine-month mark, um, things weren't looking great. So I was quietly preparing myself in my own mind Mm. because Dr. Cree said if we do do it, the rule of the fusion and the bone graft fusion, um, you go two above and two below the damage. Um, I shattered seven, damaged six and eight, but they didn't realise when they'd done the first operation that i damaged four as well. Right. So then when I had to have the bone graft, they fused from T2 down to T10. And Dr Cree said it's just – it's way too much um, – basically it's just frozen together. Once the bone graft takes hold, it's, it's basically all welded together. And he said because of that structure um, at the top and the bottom of that joint – he said um, if you were to have a fall, he said it's just so weak. Not weak, weaker than what it was, but because the, the fusion's so strong, he said that'll just snap. Oof. So that's hence why um, I'm not allowed back on horseback. Mm. But it was about the nine-month mark that I started to sort of prepare myself in my own mind because it was mm. always negative reports when I was going to the doctors. Um, and Dr. Cree just said it's not, it's not healing, it's not healing. And, yeah, he said after about 12 months the bone stops healing. So... Yeah. Again, I was quietly preparing myself for it, um, but then when yeah when the twelve month mark come and he said it's going to be have to have to be operated on again. That's when things really hit home, and uh, I'll be honest, there's a few tears shed because mm. I'd always plan on going back. I was only like forty one at mm. the time when I broke it. So yeah, it's 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 just not again touch wood. It could be a whole lot worse, mm. um, but it was just not the way that I wanted to, to yeah. go out you know like I had plenty plenty more things like we've got three daughters and once they were all through school and out of my hair I said to Kylie then it's time for me to sort of really put the pedal down and get things going but mm. yeah it wasn't to be
0: and do you still suffer any pain from it now
1: yeah especially this time of year I've still got the rods they're about 25 to 30 centimeters long
0: Are they in there for life
1: no, they can come out um, but it's just getting the time because they say it takes about three months for the um, for the holes to mend. There's 16 screws in there so there's a lot of mending to do but it's just getting the time. They said I'll be back at work after about maybe three weeks yeah. but then it's yeah, it's quiet time for three months which I can do but, yeah, it's just finding the time. Yeah,
0: yeah, cool. Um, so why don't we move to happier times? <laughs> so... Shocking! You've won two Melbourne Cups. Shocking, two thousand nine, right?
1: Two thousand nine, yep.
0: Um, and you know, shocking had one of the hardest runs in a Melbourne <laughs> Cup, but got the job done. Yeah. And then you backed it up in two thousand seventeen on Rekindling, which I think had the easiest run in a Melbourne Cup ever. Yep. So I thought we might watch Rekindling in a second. We won't quite watch it yet, but let's just set the scene. So super interesting horse. Yep. Owned by Lloyd Williams and his crew of owners. Yep. Really influential Australians. Yes. Very. Um obviously Lloyd Williams is obsessed with winning the Melbourne Cup. Yep. Can you set the scene a little bit? So this horse is trained uh, Rekindling was trained by
1: Joseph O'Brien. Yep.
0: Son of Aidan O'Brien, probably the most famous trainer in the world. Yeah. At the time how old was Joseph? 25 early, or something? early 20s, yeah, crazy. He's very crazy. early 20s, yeah. And how so when did you first hear about Rekindling and and think you might be on
1: it? Um well, it's funny because my manager at the time, good mate of mine, Paul Webster, um, he's best mates with Harry Finlay, okay. the famous punter Harry Finlay. Okay. They grew up uh, next door to each other. And Harry was always um telling Paul about these good horses that are coming through and, you know, they may be coming for the Melbourne Cup. And he'd sort of earmarked this horse as a, well, Southern Hemisphere three-year-old and he just said, mate, if this horse comes for the Melbourne Cup, he said, I think you should be getting on it. And, and who
0: owned it at the time? Had the, the William Syndicate bought it? The
1: William Syndicate had bought it, yes. Yeah. So it's still under O'Brien, Oh, obviously trained over in Ireland, Joseph O'Brien, but. Harry Finlay was the one that actually e-tagged it and said mate if if it comes yeah. get on it.
0: And its form wasn't outstanding like it had been chipping around It'd, one here one yeah, there. Yeah, but the
1: for, very the,
0: lightly raced.
1: Lightly yeah. raced, but the horses that it had been racing against, I think that was more so the point. Harry said mate they they they're going to be very good horses. Yeah. And he said and this horse is only finishing okay. a couple of lengths from them. And obviously uh northern hemisphere 3 year old, southern 4 year old. So Paul said he's really a four-year-old. He's coming down here and he's he's going to get no weight. Mm. And he said, "I think you should ring for the ride." So I rang Lloyd, mm-hmm. and I'd never I'd, I'd put Lloyd's colours on once in my ever my career, and it was in an uh, I think it was an Adelaide Cup, and it run no good. Mm. But I, I could never get into the stable. Like um, there's a lot of boys obviously riding for him at the time when I was in Melbourne, and I could never get a go. And so I rang Lloyd, and he goes, "Oh look, I'll I'll." put your resume into Joseph O'Brien's stable and see what they say. And I thought, oh, I don't want to be rude to Lloyd, but I thought that's not going to go to Joseph O'Brien's stable, my resume. So yeah. I quickly got onto the boys here at Coolmore and basically tried to go to the back door. And they said, look, we don't, we don't have any control of the horse anymore. So if if you if you want, we can sort of try and help you. But anyway, I was driving to the races at Hawkesbury the next day and Lloyd's number come up on the phone. And I'm like, thinking, he is, is. he's going to tell me, you know, sorry, mate, they don't want you. And he goes, Corey, put your resume forward. He said, you've got such a good record in the race. He said, they want you on board. Wow. I said, oh, great. So I made one phone call and it was mm. probably about...
0: Had you ever called Lloyd before that? No, yeah,
1: no, no. You, had you,
0: had you just look him up in the yellow pages, do you? Or no, the, or I actually rang
1: ran Dicey because I know he had the express line to Lloyd Williams. <laughs> you know <what> I say. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, but it was the only horse that I rang for. And it was funny because I'd... I'd the four year, Oh, sorry, yeah, the four years before... I was a bit dark on Sydney and I just, I wasn't getting a good go and I'll be brutally honest, Chris Waller was stuffing me around, like booking me for horses and scratching and it just, it played with my mind so much and um, I said to my wife, I said, because I love uh, French jockeys and French racing, I said, I'm going to go over to France, I've spoken to Christophe Lemaire who I'm quite friendly with and I said, mate, can I come over and bum around for a little while and Paul Fudge, the owner here in Australia, he had horses over there for Waratah and... So I was going over there for a working holiday and Michael Friedman got gist of it. And an owner that I used to ride for in Hong Kong many years ago, he had a, a horse, Mr. Big, running in one of the big races in Singapore. And Michael said, why don't you come for a few weeks and bang around here before you go on to France? So I ended up going to Singapore for four weeks. I had such a run of luck and Joey Moreira told me that he was on to Hong Kong, no one knew. So I went to France and then on the way back, my wife and I banged heads, and she said, "Well, why don't you head back to Singapore?" Because I wasn't getting to go here. So I was, yeah. I was in Singapore. I ended up staying for nearly four years, three and a half years. So I, I come home, but the moment I got home, a really good mate of mine um, and his cousin kept saying to me, "You'll win the Melbourne Cup this year. You'll win the Melbourne Cup." And I, well, I was sort of laughing about it, and yeah, yeah, whatever, mate. And then my wife says, "Oh, all the girls are over eighteen now, so we're going to go to Melbourne this year." So she said, "I booked the accommodation. I booked the flights." And this is about, I reckon, July. Yeah. And I'm saying, Colleague, I don't even know if I'm going to really ride in Melbourne. I said, mate, I don't even know if I'm going to be in Melbourne. She said, well, if you're not there, she said, we're going anyway. Yeah, girls' trip. So anyway, I end up picking up the ride. Yeah, and just yeah, everything fell in the place. Yeah,
0: well, let's let's watch it. Um, so we're we're going to watch the whole thing. So you're going to jump from barrier four.
1: Yep. So it's pretty it's pretty hard to give him a bad ride from four to be honest, but that that the Saturday so we're just
0: you're in you got the pink cap on
1: pink cap which is unusual
0: yeah. for Lloyd Williams and you're trucking yeah. straight across the rail now you're in the famous Lloyd William colours yeah. pink cap people will be able to pick him up yeah sorry yeah, go so, on
1: Johannes yeah, Vermeer obviously wore the first set so I had to put the pink cap on but um, I spoke to Joseph O'Brien in the morning mm. and I sort of explained what I thought I'd do and you know I'd obviously watched his replays and he didn't look a hard horse to ride and I, I bonded with him straight away. It's the first time I laid eyes on the horse when I walked out to see my saddle. Yeah, so on you him. never rode
0: him at Mount Macedon or no, anything like I, that. No, I, I rang
1: yeah. and offered to go out there and have a bit of a go at the quarantine. He was actually at Werribee. Yeah, but um, and this said, is his
0: first start in Australia.
1: First start in Australia, and his last
0: start was two months prior. Yep. In the Irish St. Ledger, possibly. Saint Ledger. Yep. Yeah.
1: And yeah, so I rang Joseph O'Brien. Actually, and I said, "Oh, would you like me to come out?" I said, "Even if I have a, like a, just a canner on him, would you like me to have a feel?" And he goes, "No." He said he's an easy horse to ride. He said you'll have no problems with him. So. I spoke to him race morning and I said, mate, you know, like I said, no weight. I'd like to be sort of settling in the first half a dozen. And he said, Corey, he says, I don't want you to go out there with any plan, but he said, just ride the horse. Mm. He said, that's all I want you to do. He said, ride the horse. He said, you've drawn soft. He said, just let him tell you what he wants to do, you know. Mm. So, and it's a typical European style, you know, they generally have pacemakers and stuff and – Horses like himself settle back. But he, he, he was just... so you just could
0: just hear, like, you're sitting in midfield, yep. right, and everything's just going perfectly. Yep. Were you thinking in your head, like, we're on here?
1: Yeah, well, I, I just... It was funny, from the moment I woke up that morning, it was just like everything was going to happen. Yeah. A- everything was yeah. going to happen. But And your
0: whole family's there, right? Whole so family's all there. All three girls and your wife? Yeah.
1: yeah. And I just wandered off to the races, and even Kylie had mentioned to the girls, obviously, when I went... She said, I've never seen your father so relaxed on a big race day. Like, yeah. obviously, you do form and you, you're looking at things and fluffing around and whatnot. But I, everything was just cruisy that day. But it was funny because I was, I was following Max Dynamite, Zach Purton.
0: Yeah. So and where's Max now? So I can...
1: Max is running seventh on the fence directly in front of me. He's got okay. soft pink colours and I think um, green stars yes. or something like that.
0: Yep. So you're you're right behind Zach I'm right Directly now.
1: behind Zach, and, and we're
0: are we coming. We're sort of at the we're seven coming or 800, to about the right? seven eight hundred. Yeah. yeah,
1: and that on the on the Saturday on Derby Day, the fence was like a travelator down the straight. Everyone wanted to be on the fence. You just couldn't make ground coming around them. There was no wind or anything like that, but you could see coming to about the six or the eight hundred there. A little bit further down here on the track, got. I don't know. It was just really weird because the couple of them opened up but I could see Zach wanting to get back towards the fence. All he wanted to do was get back towards the fence. So he dove back towards the fence here mm-hmm. and I just said, mate, see you later. I've got mm. no weight. You'll run up into a dead end there and then, or something. So
0: you're, you're free running now just yeah. starting to, so, to
1: canter up. Always and he's, he's, still he's still trying still to sort rev of, up. And he's got, a, he's got a decent weight and he's trying to wind up in amongst horses. And then but,
0: Johannes Vermeer, the other Lloyd Williams horse, kicks
1: to the lead. Yep. Yeah my whole the whole way down the straight even when I got Johannes Vermeer's back at the top of the straight I could see Benny Mellum's bodies and again like knowing jockeys you know inside out I could see what he had left underneath him by his body language Uh I knew he was going to be like hard to run down I wasn't going to streak him but people ask about when you're in that moment and I, I, I try to explain it but when you watch a movie and they slow it down, and there's an action scene, and they slow things right down, it's amazing because that is exactly what it's like mm. when you go to win race, like like I did. It's like I go into this little bubble of my own, and it's like you can't hear anyone, or so it's just you couldn't hear the crowd.
0: No, it's just yeah.
1: really weird. It's just like it's like slow motion. It's yeah. Yeah, again, I always to always say if I could bottle it and give everyone a try, mm. what I felt that day, it'd, you couldn't put a price on it.
0: And when did you know you were going to win the race? Was it the two or 300 or was it before that? No, nah, it
1: was before that. It was the moment I popped out, like yeah. I said, the moment Zach Dynamite dived in and I come out near Hartnell, once I got clear running and I could see Johannes Vermeer, I'm thinking I've got 51 kilos on my back. I've done absolutely no work. Yeah. This, whoever's going to come from behind me is going to have to be an absolute superstar to yeah. beat me. Um, again, he didn't win by a big margin, but the moment I got out and I grabbed Johannes Vermeer's back, oh, I knew I was the winner.
0: And that was his absolute peak performance. I think he had one more start after that round last.
1: Yeah, I think he never, ended up having a bad wind problem or something like that. Yeah. There's something went amiss with him, yeah. So it was disappointing because he was a gun little It's Not just saying that because he won the cup for me, but he actually had a great character about him. He was mm. quite... Yeah, he's a a pretty cool dude. And what was the party like that night? Uh, That night wasn't as big as the first one that I won on Shocking, but um, the good thing about it, again, all the girls were there. Uh, I know what was big was the bill that I had to pay from Club (laughs) 23, was it? Wow, how come you had to pay it? Oh just dad dads, dad's dad's <laughs> dad's the
0: <laughs> What about that but what about some of the owners? Were they anywhere near oh, No, nah, sort of it was a party just it was just family. the party. We yeah. we
1: went straight after the race. They have the big party up in the ballroom or whatever it is at the casino. So we went to that, but um but yeah, I wanted to get back to the have some the, time. the down and yeah, dirty beautiful. and yeah, just with friends. What was the party like after shocking? Yeah, it was big because <laughs> that week was
0: the Kavanaugh's liked a party, did they?
1: Oh, not not so much the Kavanars, but it was Michael Rod's wedding. Yeah. Uh, or the following week. But you've got to remember that week when I went on Shocking. You know, and I won the Derby, mm. I won the Melbourne Cup, and I won the Emirates.
0: Do you remember who won the Emirates?
1: Yeah, um, All-American. Uh-huh. Yeah. Either right. oh, the horse. Yeah, yeah. Arrowfield. God, who won the Derby? And yeah, it might
0: have been and Hustler might have been favourite in that race.
1: No, So You Think. Really? Because no. my wife, oh, we, we were great friends with the bosses, and Sloan boss is watching the TV because So You Think was favourite. My wife is watching the race with her, and she's, everyone's cheering for So You Think. Bossy took off a bit excited and took off too far from home. And as we passed – or as they passed the post, my wife turned to Sloan and goes, Corey's just won another green yeah. one. So,
0: and what price? Do you remember what price All-American was? I feel like it was like dollars Oh, no, it was about,
1: yeah, $30 or something. Yeah. 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 So
0: So let's let's stick on some of the horses you've ridden. So uh, you've ridden. What would you say is the fastest horse you've ridden? Not necessarily the best, but the fastest. Like you got on and be like, this thing is a motor car. This is a Ferrari.
1: Um. Definitely exceed and excel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like I've ridden some really fast horses. I mean, even Apache Cat. He was mm. fast. Um,
0: and you just you get on and they just they just yeah. go. They, it's very vis- physically. Can really feel the difference, can yeah.
1: you? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you one of the fastest horses that I've ridden. Um, he uh, may still even hold the record there at Sandown over a thousand. Uh, it was a horse called Here the Angels. Yeah. There's a horse that uh, famously they moved out a barrier away from Black Caviar. Because he used to be an absolute lunatic in the barriers. He could flip out. Um, He'd go five starts and he wouldn't even blink. And then his sixth start, he'd just turn himself upside down. But he was really fast, but he was just – he didn't have a brain. Right. Like he he could be a great horse on the day, but then just throw it all away by doing something stupid. But I've ridden some fast horses, but nothing like Exceed and Excel. Exceed and Excel, when you you push the button on him, you could feel him drop like a fast car and just – like fly um yeah he was pretty
0: good did you ride it all at start no it's
1: funny how i i got on him i was actually meant to ride him because i I used to ride all the timmy martin's horses but i used to ride for obviously um the hawks camp and jack and bob ingham so um i had to ride in the two ride races i had to ride something for the hawks stable and huey bowman got on him to start with and huey won his first couple of races on him and He was going for the Caulfield Guineas, but the the race, the the pre-race, the race before was always, I think it's called the Dubai Classic or something like that, 1400 Group 1. And exceeding Excel was really strong. Like I'm Mm. talking, he was a machine. Yeah, yeah. he was a beast. And yet had to take him to the barriers really steady because if he got rolling, you wouldn't be able to stop him. And I'll never forget, I went to Caulfield and he had 51 kilos. So Timmy Martin said, well, Brown will ride him in in the lead up and Huey will get back on for the Guineas. So, going to the start, he, 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 I think he'd been to Caulfield before to have a gallop, but he didn't know where he was. So, he was really like, his ears were pricked and he was having a good look around. So, yeah. I just jumped out in front, led the race over 1,400. But because he didn't really know where he was going, he raced really kind and soft and, you know, you didn't have to wrestle him. And he won as he liked. I think he ended up winning by about four lengths. Yeah. And Nick Moratus is ringing me and telling me that he wants me to ride him in the Corfield guineas and I said no it's, it's not fair I said it's Huey's horse I said he's done all the work and I said I was never meant to ride it in that race so Huey got on him again and he knew Caulfield stepping up another furlong to the mile and he just ripped and teared and Huey couldn't hide right. him and he just runs yeah. house. anyway he went for a spell and he's due, just due to come back and I get a phone call from Nick Moratus and said I want you to ride and excel and I said no I'm not I said, it's Hughie's horse. I said, we're great mates. And I said, I don't want to, you know, cause a drama. And Nick Morata said, well, if you don't ride him, Jimmy Cassidy is. So I said, I leave it with me. <laughs> so I rang Bowman and I told him the exact story. Bowman said, no. He said, I, I was sort of expecting it to happen yeah. like that anyway. And Hughie hadn't become Huey Bowman at that stage. You know, he's, yeah. still, he's still only very young. But, um, but again, he, he was – I think I ended up having three rides on the horse for three wins. Yeah. He was an absolute superstar. His
0: big win was the new market.
1: The new market, yeah, and it was funny that story as well because I've always, you know, I've always loved motorbikes. Okay. And Glen Boss and I, um, I lived out at Annan Grove near Castle Hill. I had property out there, and I had my own sort of bike tracks and whatnot. And I had the kids' bikes. And the Sunday before the um, the new market, Glen Boss and I were out there, and we'd had a barbecue and carrying on like he did do. And I got on the Peewee fifty. And I had board shorts and thongs on, and racing around the place and i cartwheeled the Wee 50 and drove me heel into the ground and i knew i'd done damage straight away so i hopped in into the house and i jumped in the shower and kylie come in she was really upset because she knew that i'd done something wrong and i'm yeah. trying to cover up and saying no, nah, no, nah, it's all good it's all good and our house at the time um it was built on the side of a hill so it was split level but we had floorboards through the house and it was really long i woke up at about midnight and my heel was just robbing like yeah. I, I knew i'd broken it so – and I couldn't hop out to the kitchen because I would have woke everyone up because of the floorboards. So I had to crawl on my hands and knees about 25 metres to get to the kitchen to get some ice. So I iced it. And the next day Kylie goes, I'm not helping you. You get yourself to the doctors. So <laughs> I had to get to the doctors, do everything. And I got it x-ray but it never showed up on the x-ray. Right. So um, South Sydney Sports Medicine, Liz Steet was her name. Darren Beeman said, go to her, she'll fix you. But – I obviously banged me Killius ten at that hard. My foot was black, and it was just. This is th- a week
0: before the new market.
1: Week before the new market, and I'm meant to be at Flemington to gallop the horse on the Tuesday morning. So I ring Timmy and I said, "Mate, I've hurt me foot, but I'll be right for Saturday. But I'm not coming to ride work on Tuesday." And Timmy goes, "I don't care what you do. He said, just get there for Saturday." So I've got Liz Steep massaging this foot of mine like it's black, and she's got me jumping up and down on one of those small trampolines.
0: And did you did you think exceeding so was immoral in the Oh, new I just market? thought he, he'd
1: win, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I started walking on the side of my foot. Anyway, it, I went, rode him on the Saturday. He won the new market. But because nothing showed up on the x-ray, I continued riding. Yeah. So for six weeks I'm walking around on the side of my foot because it's hurting and John Hawks ended up saying to me, mate, go and get that foot fixed because I was always – like not saying I was pulling the pin at the races because I was banging it, but there was always a drama with it. And the doctor at the races ended up saying to me, um, you need to get a CT scan on that foot. So I said, well, if you're paying for it, I said, I'll go and get it. So we went and got it done. And six weeks later, honestly, like a 10 cent piece part of my heel is floating still six wow. weeks later. So it actually hung up on the, the, the x-ray hung up on the, the new market photo there for a long while. Like, yeah. so I won this race with a broken, with a broken heel. foot. Yeah. And did you have to, Take time out to let it heal. i up just taking about uh, three to four weeks off after that and yeah, just letting it mend itself, heal. yeah. I didn't get operated on but, yeah. But I've had a <laughs> – I've broken both heels. It's really weird. So I got suspended in Hong Kong and sent home and my first day back at the trials at Ramwick, I was riding one for John Cornish and the horse bucked and flipped me up in the air and I come down. I landed on my feet but the moment I hit the concrete, I knew that I'd broken opposite heel – but um, I knew that I'd broken it. So yeah. not only had I done the six-month suspension, my first day back, right. and then I had to do six weeks on the sideline with a broken heel. <laughs> yeah,
0: shit house. And so Xe Excel, there's a funny story about So Tim Martin had never paid – you might know the story a lot better than me, but the story goes he'd never paid more than 30000 for a horse, mm. went to the English sales. Dane Hill was all the rage. He got excited. He was a young trainer. Yeah didn't have much money, yeah. decided to pay 375000 for exceeding sell, yeah. had no one no to, one to buy it. <laughs> ownership. Is this all correct?
1: It's all correct, and mate. And then
0: he finally convinced Alan Osberg to take 50%, who then um, got Nick, Maradis. Nick Maradis to take the other 50%, yeah. and then they ended up selling it for $12 million to Dali, right, after you got it home no, in the new market with a broken here.
1: It was $22 million to Dali. It Darley. was $22 million. $22 million. Wow. to Dali. Um but yeah, he, again, it was it was great for Timmy. It was great for me. Mm. Um, just come along at the right time and for been me. a super
0: successful sire. Yeah, one for of the sure.
1: Better ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think Timmy's done that a few times at the at the sales though. Yeah, <laughs> paid a lot of money for horses and <laughs> didn't have the owners to buy. Them. <laughs> That's
0: what they all do, I think. Um, and the best horse you ever rode against, that you never got on. I mean, there's the obvious one. Yeah,
1: Winx. W- Wink- Winks is obviously. The one, you know, and she made it look so easy, like all of her wins, and they were saying, you know, she's not competing against the best of horses, but um, but I love going back to the days of like the octagonal, um, yeah. you know, saintly, yeah. nothing like a, nothing dane. like a Dane, you know, in those in that Rosal Guineas race mm. where they crossed the line, the Fort Falante, mm. that that to me is like the the, the pinnacle. Like I look at those days, and they'll just, I don't know whether it was because you, you I was never really young. any of them. No, no, no. I rode beside them. Like, I that, I just started riding for John Hawks at the time and I, I sort of, like, I was beside Occy and then Lonro come along. But, look, I've got no doubt that she's probably the best horse that I've ever seen. Mm. Um, but but there's so many, like, coming through, I've seen so many good horses, like Black Caviar and even the likes of Sunline, you know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It was just, yeah, different eras. But, yeah, I think the best horse would obviously be Winx.
0: How It's hard to compare, but how do you think Winks would go against Romantic Warrior, for example. Like, mm. we all, I was a bit shocked at how badly um, Romantic Warrior towed up Dubai mm. Honor. Mm. And obviously, Dubai Honor was way too good for Animo. Yeah. Where, yeah, if, how do you think Winx would go against Romantic Warrior? Oh,
1: I think she'd be very, very competitive. Yep. I would have loved to have seen her, like, and I know it wasn't to be Chris Waller taking it to, you know, like Royal Ascot or anything mm. like that, but I would have loved to have seen her go abroad. Mm. Um, I know Chris always said, you know, he's got nothing to prove with her and stuff like that. But I would have loved to have for her to go and compete abroad and just seal the deal, like or not seal the deal. I shouldn't say it like that, but just concrete that yeah. she was an absolute freak. Yeah. Um, because again, the way she used to win races and just effortlessly, you know, like yeah. it's it's freakish what she yeah. was doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're in a good spot in life now. Yeah. On Sky. Yeah. Um, Channel Seven as well.
1: Yeah, i have done a little bit for Channel Seven, um, but then when Sky Channel come about, um, Sydney boy, yeah, you know, Channel Seven involves a lot of going to Melbourne and, mm. um, yeah, and I'm ready just to, concrete in at home. But great crew, they've been really, really good. Um, it's very different. Mm. I've answered questions my whole life about horses, but it sounds really weird, but to actually a- ask them, it's not that easy. Um, yeah, so but it's been good. Yeah. A little bit challenging Has it at the start, but taken
0: it's taken been... you a while to get comfortable. Like do you do you rock up now and you feel like, yeah, I got this, it's all good? And was it not like that at the start?
1: Mate, my whole career I've done nothing but wing it. So uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, no, it, it definitely is and I've never I was never a jockey to do form. Yeah. And that was probably my only glitch was I was just always a field jockey. I yeah. just got on and rode the horse and um, rode what was sort of the cards that were dealt in front where if I started to do form and read into things i'd get out there and just i'd fumble it and stuff it up so um to me now i have to do a little bit of form um and that that took a little bit of a little bit of time because i've got a yeah. i've got a oh, i have got ai got ai do not know i just <laughs> concentration level like that like yeah. It just yeah it's not real good but I, that's probably been the most challenging thing doing the bit of the form um but a lot of the time i just wing it and just look at them in the enclosure and i've always had a decent sort of eye looking at a horse so it's, it's got me this far. Yeah.
0: And what about obviously racing takes up so much of your life, but outside of racing, what sports do you love to watch? And are you, are you at your happiest when you're sitting down with your family watching sport on TV or uh, other things?
1: Yeah, I, I do. Like I love – because my, my, the routine for me, like always the Friday night football, like I'd start saunering to 3 o'clock in the afternoon and saunering and sort of get weight right and then have a relax watch the Friday footy. Who's your team? Uh, West Tigers. Ooh. <laughs> they're off the you, bottom anyway. You and, you and
0: Darren. Know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. Um, they got right.
1: They're going
0: all right. They're on the way back. Yeah.
1: I don't know if they're, <laughs> I don't know if they're that good this season. But anyway, uh, I love watching the footy. Um, I've, actually, I'll tell you what I have loved the last sort of couple of months and I've watched that program on Netflix, um, The Live Golf. Yep. Love watching it. Yeah. Um, And obviously racing. But, yeah, mate, I could watch any sports. My love for sports is actually motor racing, like motorbikes. My idling life was – Valentino Rossi, yeah. so I could sit there and watch the motorbikes all day, and I, I, not so much now, but when the grandson was really little and we used to babysit him a lot, I'd sit there and watch the Pro Bowl riding PBR. Ooh, wow! <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a mixture. Vibe. It's a mixture, but um, but yeah, mate, I'm just yeah, yeah, as long as it's outdoors, I'm good.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, mate, thank you very much for coming in. Thank we you. Appreciate it. Everyone at home would would have liked watching it. So yeah, thank you. Thank buddy. you, mate. Cheers, brother. Let's get a Bye to eat now some lunch, eh? Excellent. Cheers, Good well skills. done.
1: Thanks, man.